Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Um, we are going to close out our series on 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 today. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that um, today's lesson is probably going to uh, teach and sound a little bit more like a sermon. I tend to, I try to not do that because I know you're about to get a sermon uh, in the next hour. And so you will um, want to listen a little bit more intentionally. Um, I think that this is uh, very practical. I think that this is something that it will be helpful uh, to the people in this room. But we've been in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, basically walking through what are the things that make us unmovable. And so our theme verse has been verse number 58, where he says, Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so I want to close this series with an interesting thought that really I wasn't planning on, but as I kind of dug a little bit deeper into the chapter um, and saw how many times this was repeated, it felt like that it was something that we needed to spend a little bit of time talking about and learning from. And so today I want us to answer the question, are you a vain Christian? Are you a vain Christian? And this is straight out of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Now I know when you see a question like that, your first response is no, okay? Anytime someone asks you a derogatory question, like, are you a vain person? Or, no, I'm not a vain person. And that's not always maybe what it seems. Sometimes I think that we do ourselves a disservice when we don't do some internal digging into our hearts and in our lives. We just automatically assume that we're where we need to be. We automatically assume that we're right where God wants us to be. And many times what we do with that is when we do not evaluate ourselves spiritually or really in any area, it tends to allow us to fall into some traps that are unhealthy. It tends to allow us to maybe lead a life that is not where God would want us to be. The same is true with maybe anything, eating habits. You look at maybe how you uh, interact with the people relationally. Before you know it, if you do something long enough and it becomes a habit, you've brought yourself into a type of life that is unhealthy in any arena. Um, specifically, what I want us to look at today is this idea of are you a vain Christian? Meaning this, what have you done with what Christ has given you? What have you done with what Christ has given you. And so I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. It's obviously kind of a glimpse of the whole chapter. I'm going to read a couple of verses just so that you can see this thought being repeated. Uh, first of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1. Let's go ahead and read it for sake of context. He says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed, what's the next two words? In vain. Well, good, that was excellent class participation. What's the next two words? 
in vain. He says, unless ye have believed in vain. Skip down to verse number uh, 9 now. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not, what's the next two words? In vain. You might get the hint by the time we get to the fourth one, okay? But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Skip down to Verse number 12, he says this, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our pre- then is our preaching, what's the next word? Vain. And your faith is also, what? Vain. Then he continues, he says, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is, what's the next two words? Is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. And then I want you to go and look at our theme verse, verse number 58. He says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor, what's the next four words, is not in vain. He says, if you do this, that's in vain. If you believe this, that's in vain. If you live like this, that is vain. But if you do this, it is not in vain. And so I want us to talk about, are you a vain Christian, I'm going to really give you four thoughts that I cannot answer for you, okay? I'm going to give you four questions that are something purely to think about. I was taught very early on in Bible college that statements condemn, questions convict. And sometimes what we're guilty of doing is we're guilty of saying all these statements and then everybody walks out and they feel like, well, I'm just a bad Christian. We never let the Holy Spirit sometimes creep in and do the convicting. My goal today is to ask you these four questions, and I'm not going to bring you to the conclusion yourself. In fact, I'm learning and continue to learn that sometimes when I kick and punch and force and push people to a place that God doesn't want them, I end up hurting myself and them, okay? And sometimes the Holy Spirit-led growth of the Christian life can take you further than what any man or any person can push you, okay? And that is purely my goal today, is to let you think about these four questions. The follow-up questions, the application questions that three of you sometimes will do, okay? I encourage you to take some time, maybe even this afternoon while it's fresh on your mind, and to think through them because I think it's something that will help you and I think it's something that can change your perspective of the Christian life. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. God, I'm so thankful for this chapter. Lord, it has sunk down deep into my heart and into my life. And God, I ask that you would help me to be able to properly convey what you have really taught me in the last couple of weeks. Lord, I feel like that we are a generation that is so easily moved. We are a generation that is not really known by our steadfastness. And so God, I ask that you would help us over the next couple of minutes to be able to look at these questions and to see how distracted and how unfocused we have become. Lord, I pray that you would help us to begin to live a selfless Christian life. 
Lord, help me to share my heart. Lord, help no one in the room to be able to walk out and say that this was just Joel sharing uh, and, and maybe scolding them. Lord, this is something that hits me. And so, God, I ask you would help me to properly convey that, Lord, to properly speak that. In your name we pray. Amen. I said it was going to be more of a sermon. I, the Lord's kind of changing my heart a little bit on that. And so I want to, I just want to talk to you, I guess. Let's, let's change that, all right? Um, vanity is something that I think that we all can recognize in others, but we're not always the best at recognizing in someone else. Would you agree with that? You don't have to vote on it because we already said that we've done, we're done voting for today. But it's really easy to recognize in someone else. You, maybe you check social media or as you hang out with your friends or maybe you have a conversation, maybe you even have a date. Okay, You go on a date and all the person does is talk about how good he or she is. Well, you walk out of that and you probably, when you go to meet with your friends and you say, hey, how'd the date, how, how did everything go? You say, oh my goodness, he's so vain or she's so vain. All she did was talk about herself. Well, she was 35 minutes late because she was trying to look nice, blah, blah, whatever. We had to take five selfies. We, we recognize vanity in others a lot more than we do ourselves. And vanity is something that we, the Bible talks a lot about, but yet we very rarely understand. Let's give a working definition of what it means to be vain. It doesn't mean to be prideful. It doesn't mean to be maybe uh, arrogant. It doesn't always mean some of the things that we think it means. We, we don't, the Bible didn't associate it with social media. Okay, let's just say it like that. Here's a working definition of being vain. It means being empty. It means that it's basically nothing. You read Ecclesiastes... When you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, that's the book of the Bible that vain, the word vain and the thought of vanity is used the most. And what Solomon is saying, the wisest man in the world is saying, is he says, I've sought for substance, I've sought for something in all of these different arenas in the world, and here's what I've found is that they are vain. In fact, he says, vanity of vanities. He says, this world is just nothing. He says, it, it, it's, it's empty. So where do we find our purpose? Where do we find our fulfillment? And well, we all know the answer to that. Hopefully over the last couple of weeks, you've come to kind of evaluate yourself and see maybe where you've lost focus. We know that our fulfillment comes from God. So let me ask you this question. Have you fallen into the trap of the vain Christian life? Have you fallen into the trap of the vain Christian life? The empty Christian life? the Christian life that really amounts to nothing. And in this passage, what you'll find is that Paul is writing to a very carnal church, okay? It doesn't take you too many Google searches or too many Bible studies to figure out that when you read through the book of First and Second Corinthians, Paul is addressing stuff that he doesn't have to address in any other book of the Bible. He's having to address incest, okay? He's having to address getting drunk at Lord's Supper, those are things that most churches probably didn't struggle with. And yet in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that's the carnality that's being produced out of these Christians. And so when he begins to challenge them about this in this really second to last chapter of 1st Corinthians, and he says, I want you to be unmovable, he says five, four or five times in this chapter that something is vain. That what you're doing and how you're acting, if you're not careful, can become empty. It can become shallow. It can become nothing. And one of the things that I look at the landscape of Christianity, as I look at the landscape of churches all around America, and really, I guess, all around the world, and specifically when you take the snapshot 
of the generation sitting in this room, which by the way, I tell people this all the time, you guys are the exception to that, okay? I think that what you will find is that cultural Christianity, American Christianity as we know it, is vain. It is to the point to where it has become more about us than it has about God. We were just talking this week in our office about some of the things that are kind of unique to ministry, and it's almost hilarious. I wish that sometimes you could sit in our office and hear some of the phone calls that we get as a church. It's kind of like, so so that's the church's job? I'm confused where we fall into that, okay? Yeah, we're happy to help, but, but where is that in the Bible? What, what are we supposed to do with that? And so... We have made church about us. I often think about the John F. Kennedy phrase that he's known for, where he says, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. That's a great patriotic quote that many people have heard that's probably been etched all over everything and that probably we need to reapply even in today's society. But if we think about our country like that, why would we not think about Christianity and the church like that? You see, we have made the church really our one-stop shop to, full, to fill all of our Christian needs. Most of us, if we were on an island by ourselves, our Christianity could not sustain. Why is that? Because we have so tethered it to, well, this is who I've got around me. This is my friends. This is my group. This is my class. This is my church. And all of those things are helpful, and I'm 100%, I believe that Christ died for the church. But the church is not here to fulfill your needs. The church is here to fulfill the needs of those who need Christ. The Great Commission. That's the, that's the biblical way. That, that's what Jesus' last command was. And sometimes what we're guilty of doing is we're guilty of saying, well, what does this church offer me? We almost treat it like a restaurant. Which church has the best Yelp reviews? What can they give me? What can I get out of them? Rather than turning that phrase around and saying, no, what can I give of myself to Christianity? What can I give of myself to the church? What can I do that's extra? And in 1 Corinthians 15, what Paul is saying is you've fallen into this trap to where you've made the Christian life about what you can get rather than what you can give. And so I want to ask four questions straight out of this passage. The first one is this, is what have you done with the gospel? What have you done with the gospel? He says in verse number two, or verse number one, he says, I preach unto you the gospel. Now remember when we taught this in lesson number one, I reminded you that he's writing this to a church. He's writing this to Christians. So why would he preach the gospel to people who have already accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior? He preached that gospel so that they would understand the power and the magnitude that it has to change their lives. He says that this is which ye have also received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. He says, you accepted the gospel, and you're going to stand in the gospel, and you're saved by the gospel. He says, if you can remember the things that I taught you, it can change you, unless you've believed in vain. Unless you have accepted this thing called the gospel just to get your ticket punched to heaven. So much of our society revolves around word of mouth, doesn't it? It revolves around what others say about an experience. I guarantee you that this week you probably made a decision about something based off of what you heard from someone else. Whether it was where you ate, whether it was who you talked about, 
whether it was what you did on social media, whether it was any of those things, you made a decision based off of what someone else said. And it may have been that you saw something as good, or it may have been that you saw something as bad. You made a decision off of someone else's experience. And here's what is so sad, is that we will talk about food places that changed our lives, and and places that we got to visit that changed our lives, and changed the way that we saw this, and oh, this was so fun, and this was so exciting, and we'll talk about all of those things, but when was the last time that you shared your gospel experience with someone else? If everything moves forward and revolves around word of mouth and revolves around everything else, then why would we not do that same thing with the gospel? And here's what's so sad, is that while other arenas of this world and of this life move forward based off of other people's experiences and word of mouth, and I want you to listen to this, because I don't think that it's right, I just think that it's accurate, okay? The church has had to become better at marketing because people won't talk about their experience. Yelp and Google reviews and all these things that exist in today's society, they are existing because, hey, someone's out there talking about our restaurant, someone's out there talking about our customer service, and so let's give them a platform to talk about it. And so what do they do? At word of mouth grows. Now you, when you Google a website, it raises your levels, on, uh, it raises you up into a higher whatever of the, I'm losing all the words, okay? You get, you get ranked higher, okay, based off of how good your Google reviews are, based off of how many people watch you on Facebook. And while the rest of the world revolves around word of mouth, here's what the church has had to step back and do. People aren't talking about the church. People aren't talking about the gospel. So we've got to figure out how to market better. You can say, well, uh, the church shouldn't do that. The church shouldn't fall into the traps of the world. Okay, you're 100% right, so start sharing the gospel with someone. But if we have accepted this thing called the gospel in vain, then guess what? We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to share it. He says that it can change your life unless you've believed in vain. And sadly, there are too many Christians who come in, they sit in a church pew or a church chair, they hear people talk about sharing the gospel, they walk past the track rack, they walk past Easter invitations, churches stand on their head and gargle peanut butter about everybody hit your street, everybody find your one. We're about to get down to marketing campaigns where you go and find half of a person, okay? Because there's there's not that much gospel experience being passed on to someone else. And the only conclusion that I can come to biblically is that there's just some of us that we've fallen into the trap of vain Christianity. I'm going to miss hell. Praise the Lord. Good for me. But what about others? If heaven is as great and hell is as hot, why wouldn't we tell someone else? Why wouldn't we pray for someone else? Why wouldn't we pour our hearts out thinking and believing that God could actually save someone that is maybe resistant. If this thing called the gospel is as great as what we say it is, then we better start sharing it. We better start talking about it. Unless, according to Paul's words, you have believed in vain. So the first question is, what have you done with the gospel? The second question is this. What have you done with grace? (laughs) This one's going to be fun, okay? 
What have you done with grace? Look at verse number 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle. He says, I'm an apostle and I'm not even deserving of it because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. The grace of God can do miracles in the lives of the Christian and the non-Christian. And yet, sadly for many, we've looked at the grace of God as an opportunity to sin rather than an opportunity to grow. What does Peter say? He says, growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What does Paul say in Romans? He says, that, he says shall, uh, shall I take advantage of the grace of God? God forbid. And once again, I think that those in this room are the exception to the rule. But we've looked at the grace of God as being an excuse to go and do what we want to do. What if Paul would have done that? He says, by the grace of God that I am what I am. What if Paul would have said, you know what, I used to persecute the church. I accepted Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. That's just who I am. That's, God's grace is there. I guess I'll just keep persecuting the church. I don't think we would have had too many epistles to read, would we? He says grace is not there to take advantage of. Grace is there for growth. Grace is there to help you. Grace is there to help you grow and help you get closer to God. And not this big, scary God that you're fearful of. That just, Well, i got to do it or I'm going to be smitten or I'm going to be struck by lightning. No, grace is there to nurture you and to bring you along. I made this statement the other day to my wife when we were talking about our kids. Is that I guarantee you, biblically, that I can get more out of Braxton, Baylor, and Blakely in the, in the realms of obedience through grace than I can with law. The other, just last Sunday, okay, we had laid down a rule in our house. We said, this is what the rule is. Last Sunday on the drive home from church, the rule was broken by both of them. It was a sad, sobbing time for the ride home. We got home, and I looked at both of them, and I said, do you guys know what the rule was? Yes, sir. Do you know what, the, what, the, what we want to happen and what should happen? Yes, sir. <laughs> Poor little Baylor. She, she like melt your heart and like her little lip starts to quiver and she's like are we, are we gonna get spankings and i said this is what grace is and god shows daddy grace each and every day that i mess up and that i fail and so today you and baylor are receiving grace that grace is not for you to go and do what you have already done. That grace is there for you to grow and to not go back to it. And my eyes filled with tears as both of them, I, I knew where we were headed as a, as a class. I knew what we were going to teach on. I wasn't getting them in trouble to have an illustration, but it works out great, okay? But my eyes filled with tears as both of them hugged me and said, we're sorry, we're going to work out, we're going to do better. We could, have, we could have spanked, we could have said, All right, this is the law, this is what I said. This is. You're 100% right. And there's consistency in that, and there's moments for that. But there's also moments of grace. 
And grace is there to help you grow. I want you to look at Paul's words here. Verse number 11, he says, he says, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. So what did I do with that grace? He says this, but I labored more abundantly than they all. He says, I worked harder because of grace. I did more for God because of grace. I exceeded expectations because of grace. Grace is not there. He didn't say, and because of God's grace, I just went and did whatever I wanted. No, he says, because of God's grace, I did more for Him. So what have you done with the gospel? What have you done with grace? And then thirdly, and we'll hurry, what have you done with faith? Really, this passage is the lengthiest of the ones that we'll cover today verses 12 through 19, but he goes into what we referred to as the resurrection and how it makes us unmovable. And he talks about how if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead. But he says this, and if Christ be not risen, then our preaching then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. And he skips down to verse number 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and ye are yet in your sins. What have you done with your faith? Is there anything, has there ever been a moment in your life to where your faith has grown? This morning, knowing what point number three was going to be, as I was getting ready, I was singing, my faith has found a resting place. Not in device nor creed. And sometimes the reason why we're so unstable as Christians in this society because our faith has found nowhere to rest. I'm not talking about whether or not you know for sure you're on your way to heaven. I'm talking about what have you placed your faith in? And then if your faith has not found a resting place, guess what? You're going to ride this roller coaster of life. You're never going to experience rest. If your faith is in your finances, then guess what? Stimulus check money coming, everything's great. But after you go and buy a new phone and buy a new car and buy a new yacht or whatever you're going to do, I saw a tweet the other day that said, so help me if my taxes, my paycheck, and my stimulus money all drop on the same day, I'm going to go buy a rhinoceros. And it's like, there you have it. And that's why Dave Ramsey is always going to be in business, all right? But what is your faith in? What have you placed it in? What, what brings you stability? And if your faith has not grown since salvation, if you don't have a moment at some point in your life to where all of a sudden your faith is not in what you have, your faith is not in who you know, your faith is not in maybe how you live your life or how smart you are, then guess what? You will be unstable. Your faith will be in vain. And he says this, he says that if the resurrection's not going to happen, we're of all men most miserable. He says if we have hope in Jesus Christ only in this life, then we haven't solved anything. But if we have a faith that surpasses this life, then we have something that we can hang on to. And sadly, the way that most Christians live is their faith is good enough to take them to heaven, but it's not good enough to fix their problems on earth. Oh, it's big enough to maybe give me eternity in heaven and keep me from hell. But hey, this whole like dating thing, not sure that I, I've got much faith in that. 
My finances, not a lot of faith in that. I'll handle those, God. My job, my career, God, you let me take care of that. I know you're big enough to settle my eternity, but these things down here, I've got them under control. What have you done with your faith? And then the last question is this. What have you done for Christ? What have you done for Christ? He tells us things that are in vain. He says, maybe you've accepted the gospel in vain. You, you accept it, it's good enough for you, but it's not good enough to tell anyone else about it. He says, maybe you've accepted grace in vain. Oh man, the grace of God's there, I'm just going to go do whatever I want to do. Maybe your faith has become in vain. It's just empty, it's shallow, it's lacking. Okay? I've got faith that God's going to do what He promises, but I, I don't have enough faith to maybe trust Him down here. But then he says an interesting statement at the end of 50, uh, verse 58. He says, For as much as ye know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You want to not be a vain Christian? Do something for God. You want to make this Christian life and really this human life that we have down here count? Do something for God. Because if you spend your years and your life down here trying to grab for everything this world has to offer, it's going to be in vain. But according to verse number 58, there is one thing that is not in vain. And that is your work for the Lord. And can I just shoot you very straight? As someone who loves you and prays for you, and honestly, I think the best days of this generation are ahead. But if we don't start doing something for God, we will have wasted this life that we have down here. And there are so many things that clamor for your attention. Guess what? Most of them are vain. They're empty. They're shallow. They might bring some fulfillment, but they're never going to bring the fulfillment that comes from doing something for God. They're never going to bring the fulfillment that comes from being steadfast, unmovable. You know, sometimes I know many of you, you're in a tough stage of life. You're in maybe a stage to where you're discontent. You're in a stage to where maybe it just feels like it just drags on, okay? Some of that is adulthood, I hate to tell you, okay? But it just you just feel like you're hitting a brick wall. Can I share something with you that has been a help to me? is that in my toughest times, the times where it has been so easy to turn inward and to do something for myself, and maybe even against my own better judgment and will, I've turned outward and done something for others and done something for God. There's fulfillment in that. There's satisfaction in that. And I know that this stage of life sometimes can become frustrating. Well, when's the right guy going to come along? When's the right girl going to come along? When's this going to get fixed? When am I going to get a job promotion? When am I going to get this? When, all these things. And I, and I hear and know so many of your struggles, and I pray for them. Okay, I honestly do. Because I love you, and, and I thank God that you're in this class. And I, I think the world of you guys. 
but don't get caught up in letting the things of this world be your biggest stressors. Let's step back for a little while and let's say, God, this is where you've got me. And it's hard sometimes. But I want to take a moment and look to you and look to what I can do for someone else. And it is in that moment that I think that you get a little glimpse into what the Christian life is actually supposed to be. You've done something with the gospel. You've done something with grace. Your faith has developed and you've begun to do something for God. And if you do nothing else on this life, I don't care if any of you get published in a medical journal. I don't care if any of you become millionaires. I don't care if any of you do any of the things that the world says are successful. But if you do something with the gospel, if you grow in the grace that God gives you, if you develop your faith, And if you do something for God at the end of your life, I believe that what you'll find is that Jesus Christ can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Will you give me one minute to share something with you? What's the one of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We use that sometimes as a a way to say we're not supposed to make an oath about God. I heard an interesting take on that verse from a sermon one time. The guy said, I don't think that what he was saying is don't go around and make an oath in God's name. He says, think about who that was given to. It was given to the children of Israel. The children of Israel that God was leading into the promised land. The children of Israel that if you go back and you read Scripture, there were people that actually tried to disguise themselves to blend in because they knew the promises that God had given that, those people. And if they weren't trying to blend in, they were trying to fight them so that they couldn't see those promises fulfilled. And there were people in that group, those children of Israel, that they received all the blessings of God, yet they took the name of the Lord in vain. You go and study some of the sins of Israel, and they were bad. Why? Because they took the name of God, Jehovah God, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah. That was plastered all over the children of Israel. They took that name and they did nothing with it. So for you and I, what have we done with the name that God has given us? Oh, I'm a Christian. It says it in my Instagram bio. What have you done with it? Or have you taken the name of the Lord in vain? Let's pray and we'll be done. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.